Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, and children of all ages. This is Plants and His Friends. Robert Itis here, uh, and we're going uh, from downtown Marshall uh, at the Caboose with WART 95.5 FM on your radio dial. I have two guests with me uh, today, uh, Bob Gale and Reese Burns. Yep, you got it. <laughs> and... Um, we're going to be talking about invasive plants. Uh, we'll definitely be getting into a lot of history that we all have with invasive plants. And um, I just want to welcome both Bob and Reese. Thanks to, for having thank us. To Plants and Their Friends. Okay. So... Um, let me also mention that we have uh, a podcast on my website, www.ncgoldenseal.com. And uh, right now there's about 38 of them. Okay, Bob, uh, why don't you uh, tell the people about uh, yourself and Mountain True and your life with invasive plants? Okay, thank you, uh, Robert. Um, well, I should tell you about Mountain True first. Uh, our organization um, has been around for about 35 or more years. I don't know exactly now. Um, we used to be the Western North Carolina Alliance when I first joined it, and that was 21 years ago. Uh, we are Mountain True now. We've merged with some smaller organizations and gotten much bigger and um, actually have four offices now, whereas it used to be Asheville and one little one in Franklin. We actually have a office in Hendersonville um, and one up in Boone and one out in Murphy. So we now actually have staff presence in all four regions of the 23 mountain counties that we work in. Um, we work a little bit over the border in Georgia too uh, and a little bit sometimes in South Carolina and I'll explain why that is in a minute. Um, our tagline pretty much uh, explains uh, what we do. Uh, it's resilient forests, clean waters, and healthy communities. Um, I am the ecologist and public lands director, and I work on public lands issues along with Reese Burns, uh, who will introduce herself a little more in a second, and um, our field biologist, Josh Kelly. So the three of us work on the resilient forests part of things, um, and we, we influence uh, uh, national forest policy. Uh, we work on trying to 
help improve our national forests. And um, we also uh, work in my particular spot on non-native invasive plants. Um, the uh, clean waters part is pretty big. We actually have four river keepers uh, and the river keeper programs are um, the French Broad River Keeper here in our region, the Watauga River Keeper up in the high country near Boone, the Green River Keeper down in Henderson County, and the Broad River Keeper uh, in, from Chimney Rock on down into South Carolina. Uh, we also have the Hiawassee River Coalition, which was its own entity, and they recently merged with us, and two of their staff um, work with us now, and uh, they've been doing tremendous work on the rivers out in the far western counties, Cherokee, Clay County, that area. So we pretty much cover uh, the whole region, and our healthy communities part um, has to do with working in human communities, like towns and county governments, uh, transportation issues, even helping people try to plan their own neighborhoods or communities so some big entity doesn't come and plan it for them. Uh, and so we get involved in all kinds of policy issues. We're, we're an advocacy organization as well as an on-the-ground, hands-on organization. And so in the public lands part, we do a lot of forest restoration work um, as, as we do in the river part. Um, I uh, started working with this organization in 1998. This is my 21st year, and um, uh, it's, it's been very rewarding to try to help protect and restore our natural communities. Because I started out after college, uh, even though I majored in, in what's now environmental science with a focus on botany, there were not wild botanists jobs, so uh, the landscaping business was up and coming. Uh, it was really growing and um, I thought, well, this is plants, so I'll work in that. And uh, that was partially rewarding for a lot of years, but I always, my heart was always in the wilder areas. Um, here I was working on um, trying to uh, landscape homes in areas that had already been sort of destroyed from the natural communities, and we were planting back uh, landscape plants. The problem with them is that they're ornamentals, and um, for 15 years uh, I planted thousands of non-native invasive plants all over the Piedmont and coastal plain of South Carolina. So I feel sorry for that state, but I've been spending the last 15 or 20 years of my life up here in the mountains getting rid of these plants that have now escaped our yards. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing back then, unfortunately. Nobody did. And we were bringing in plants from China, Japan, and Europe that didn't really belong here. And um, uh, we are now paying the price for that. Um, the good thing, I guess, uh, is that uh, I had a lot of knowledge of those plants, so I chose to start a program in our organization um, to try to get a handle on that and control them. And uh, we have uh, we started out by forming the Southern Appalachian Cooperative Weed, Weed Management Partnership um, in conjunction with the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and Equinox uh, Environmental. And um, we focused on the Appalachian Trail and started uh, experimenting and learning methods of controlling these plants and developed a methodology that has proven very successful. Um, where we work, we get rid of 90 to 98% of these plants, woody stem plants mostly. Um, some of them are tougher, but we're always working on all of these areas. Um, 
that has led to some other partnerships, uh, and it led to um, uh, the Forest Service coming to me and asking me to coordinate a job along nine miles of the Chiowa River from Lake Santitla to the Tennessee border to get rid of eight invasive species that were threatening a native um, Virginia spirea that the Forest Service had to manage for under the um, Endangered Species Act. So uh, we actually had two coordinators um, supervising um, 10 of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. It was a great partnership with them and the Forest Service and North Carolina Department of Transportation. And we, uh, that was part of the stimulus-funded project. And we Just out of curiosity, what were the plants? What were the oh, eight? okay. Uh, oh, boy. It's been a number. That was 2009. Let me see if I can remember them. Um, of course, the main ones, um, Oriental Bittersweet, uh, Privet, several, a couple of Privet species, Chinese and European, um, Japanese Honeysuckle, uh, Princess Tree, uh, Mimosa, um, wild yam, uh, Chinese yam, um, I think maybe Japanese barberry and kudzu. Uh, those are eight okay. that come to mind. And we did, we actually treated 98% of those, um, uh, that area, those plants, and um, accomplished the job a, a year before the stimulus funding project uh, money was um, ended. That pro program was nationally was ended. So we did a lot of good, and we learned a lot. We learned good things to do, things that didn't work out, and we've used that since then and have been hired by many um, by land trusts and the Nature Conservancy to work in areas where there are uh, rare federally listed uh, species, plants and animals, and um, we've been entrusted by them and um, federal and state agencies uh, and local agencies to um, use different methods. We, we, I always tell people, uh, if you're working in your yard, start with the most organic, uh, harmless ways you can. You can go out there and dig and pull and eventually get rid of things in your yard. Now, if you have several acres, that may be a different subject. Um, or if we are working on public lands where we can only visit once or twice a year, um, yeah. there are times when we can um, uh, sometimes use mechanical and uh, manual methods, but there are times when only some yeah. sort of chemical treatment will get us anywhere. Okay. Well, let's um, um, move on to... Uh uh, some of the programs that uh, happened fairly recently. Um, uh, and that'll uh, move me uh, right over to Reese. And uh, we'll come back to you, Bob, in a second. Sure. I'd like to talk about the library program that you gave. Yeah, sure. Talk a little bit about that, because we're really proud of our library. This has been voted... I don't know if you guys in Buncombe County The best know. small library in America, is yes, that it? Yes, yes. It is. Hi, accolade. <laughs> and so um, uh, I uh, am working with them on the medicinal gardens, and yeah. so uh, I, I, I knew about your coming. So tell us about how that went and how you, how you got into this. 
Yeah. Um, so I had given a, a talk to some of the master gardeners, actually, in the master gardener program up at Extension um, about a year ago uh, to talk about some invasive species issues. And um, one of them uh, was really interested in the Marshall Native Garden Initiative and so introduced me to it. Um, and I'm so thankful for it because it is an incredible program. Um, the people running it just are so dedicated to that work. Um, and I'm so impressed by all that they've been able to accomplish there. Um, everything from the solar panels to the water system to I mean, just all of the, the plant work that's been done. Um, so I coordinated with uh, Ed McNally at the Marshall Native Gardens to come and talk a little bit about the opposite of native plants, I suppose you might call them, which are invasive species that threaten a lot of our native plants. Um, so for people who are maybe interested in uh, removing invasives from their yards or, you know, just sort of working on a smaller scale, um, we really like to support people at all levels working to eradicate invasives. Um, and anyone who wants to learn about them, we just think it's great to have that knowledge be a little bit more publicly available. So we we do a series of educational programs. We're pretty happy to talk to a lot of different groups. And so this was one of our, our many presentations. And did you point out any specific uh, plants there that uh, you saw that need to be eradicated? Yeah, so they've done a great job um, around the gardens getting rid of a lot of invasive species. I believe there was a little bit of privet, butterfly bush, and multiflora rose okay. um, that I did notice. Um, but for the most part, they've, they've done a really excellent job there. Great. And you got into uh, AmeriCorps how and why? Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. Um, so I am an AmeriCorps member, and people very often ask me what that means. Um, so AmeriCorps is a it's a federal program. It's a national service program um, that basically tries to improve lives and foster civic engagement. Um, so that can include a lot of different things. Um, it's often referred to as the domestic Peace Corps um, because these members go in and don't get paid very much and try to help the community. Um, so the the program that I'm in is specifically focused on conservation issues in Western North Carolina. But other AmeriCorps members might be building trails in Colorado or working for Habitat for Humanity or doing a number of, of different projects. Yes, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Um, um, very unique. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty unique program that we have here. I'm, I'm very thankful for it. Um, so I, I found out about it through friends who had done more of the trail building side of things. And when I realized that I could stay in the town that I loved, um, stay in Western North Carolina and get involved in the environmental community and do that with a service lens, um, I was very interested and I've been here for two terms now. Great. What an inspiration. Anybody out there listening, this should be part of your new program. <laughs> Come and join the group that's helping in this uh, community uh, and have uh, an idea about service, which I think is really, really missing right now. Okay, Bob, let's get back to you. Um, we, we had uh, a number of uh, activities uh, that Mountain True has been going on. Uh, uh, I think Josh Kelly also has been uh, doing some. What do you have anything planned coming up uh, that people can kind of put on their calendar? Um, yeah, we're kind of winding down at the end of this year, but um, we have been doing for uh, several years now um, taking people into. Uh, Richmond Hill Park in Asheville. It's the city's only forested park. It's 
I forget the size, it's something like 120 or 140 acres or something, and it goes down to the French Broad River. And uh, it's a user-loved park. People just have been going there for years and walking dogs and hiking, and uh, uh, there's a, even a, a, a natural sort of a disc golf course in there and all kinds of things. Uh, but it's really run, uh, it's really taken over in the drainage systems by many invasive plants. And uh, I, the, here's, here's kind of the, the neat thing about that. A, a volunteer some years ago wanted to do some work there. He liked the park. He asked me about uh, controlling invasives and I gave him a lot of information. He went to the city and asked if he could have an invasive removal in there with volunteers. And they said yes. Um, uh, if you have a certified licensed person uh, with with you doing supervising that, and um, so they he asked me, and we went in there, and it was quite a a jungle, and I just thought we'll never accomplish anything here, even me who believes in doing this, and uh, we we cleared an area about the size I don't know of of maybe two living rooms at the most, uh, and I thought that was the end of that, and that was in December, early December. And that, that was what I was leading to, is we do have one of these events coming up in December. Um, but we, we went back in May. I had a school group call me, and they wanted to do a service outing, and I thought, what can I do? Well, we could go back to Richmond Hill Park. We went back there to that area where we started, and I was astounded. The area we cleared had popped up in May apples, Jack in the Pulpit, Trillium, Virginia Beauty, Spring Beauty, uh, just all these native vegetations and roots and tubers and seeds had been lying dormant in the soil for decades waiting for us to get rid of the privet and multiflora rose that were shading them out. And I was so impressed that I've been taking people back in there ever since. Groups and I got permission from the city to go in there on the second Saturday of each month. So the second Saturday of December is our last time this year. Um, and if anybody wants to volunteer, um, Reese will be um, running that um, group. And um, you can learn, see the way we do control, and you can see what has all come back in native vegetation in this drainage. Now, the farther we work, the bigger area we have to work in, so we're moving slower and slower. But we've really done the number in there, and all these uh, spice bush, all these wonderful things coming back. Okay, so that's the second? Second Saturday in December. Second Saturday in December. From nine Mar to one. Yeah, you don't even have to have a... 2020 calendar just throw it on in 2019 uh but in 2020 don't don't forget about us um we'll yeah. be picking up in the spring with a lot of great events we do a series of scenic hikes we do a lot of indoor education yeah. programs um now, all sorts of things one thing i want to mention about the winter it makes it easy to see yes. the invasives, yes, because mm -hmm. they're not used to our climate, and uh, Japanese honeysuckle comes out really easy. Uh, so be aware uh, in the winter of anything green, and look at it really carefully, and you might want to uh, basically. Uh, uh, be inspired to take care of that. Um, I know one of the plants that I uh, am fondest of uh, removing is English ivy. Mm -hmm. And the good news is that it doesn't have really strong roots. 
and a good hoe rake, hard rake, something right now can pull up a lot in a very short period of time. Now, I'm going to throw out another thing that may or may not conflict with what you've just said. But I would like you to consider the moon cycles when you pick these days. Now, when you do the second Wednesday of a month or something like that, you're not going to necessarily get to all of them. But if you have a choice on what day you're going to go out there, definitely look at the moon cycle when it's easiest to pull up a plant. Um, uh, and then it, when, when you have real good luck in pulling them up real easy, you're going to want to continue that cycle down the line. That's, uh, a, that's a great point. And, and um, along with that, uh, um, depending on the soils and all, um, it may be easy to pull a plant without breaking the roots or after a lot of rain, the soil's a lot softer, you can pull up a lot of plants and get all their roots. A lot of the woody stem invasives, if you don't get all the roots, they will re-sprout, but uh, pay attention to, like Robert says, the moon cycle and the weather cycle. Yes, it's uh, really important to um, make this as pleasant as possible, where uh, trying to think, as uh, Bob just mentioned, of being liberators. So these other plants were invaders, and now we're liberating the, uh, the true flora uh, in that area that has been so dominated by these exotic uh, competitors. Uh, I remember, and I'm trying to remember exactly who said it, but uh, Nepalese brown top? Yep, also mm -hmm. known as Japanese stilt grass. Yep, that's the one. Came in a package to New York City in the wrappings. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the story. And yeah. it's yeah. like so strange that we're not, I mean, it is everywhere. Yeah. That, that is, yeah. Yeah, I've heard it was being used as sort of like packing peanuts to protect pottery exactly. that was coming over from Asia. Exactly. Yeah, yeah some yeah. of these things have really interesting stories as to why they're here. Right. And, that, and that's right. one of those plants where you use a certain strategy. Um, it's one of the slowest growing grass plants we have that's here now. I mean... Uh, our native grasses will grow, they'll flower early in spring and summer, and that one takes all summer to grow and get tall enough and doesn't start to grow to seed until, depending on the elevation, maybe here in the Marshall area might be, uh, could be as early as mid-August, but probably late August. Generally in the mountains, it's early September. And uh, if you wait until before it starts producing seed, you can then weed eat it or mow it and it won't have time to grow new seed stems before fall, before frost, and it's an annual, so then it'll die, and you've eliminated all of next year's seed growth. Now, the only caution I'll give you is, look inside the, the new leaf stems at the top, because that plant has the ability to produce viable seeds inside the stem before it even produces the flowering part. So um, if you see those seeds, instead of mowing it or weed-eating it and spreading it, Cut, uh, pull it up. It's easy to pull. One of the easiest plants to pull and bag it and put it in the dumpster so it won't come back. <laughs> yeah. Nepalese brown top. 
Yeah. Everybody should be out. Of course, we're in November, and we should have been harvesting this in July. But uh, uh, mark your 2020 calendar uh, for uh, getting rid of this guy because, I mean, the plant, when you look at it, it says evasive. I mean, it is everywhere. It doesn't let anybody, as long as there's some light there, that guy's going to be there. And it it spreads through flooding. Um, The seeds come from high ground to low ground. They're often in low areas, and uh, that's why they're a real threat to our southern Appalachian bogs, which is a rare ecosystem. Anyway, to start off with, all those white men who got rid of the bogs, you're ashamed of yourself. And and all the women are going to have to put them back. <laughs> uh, I I know that one of the uh, things that I would like to do uh, and, and talk about now that we're coming to about halfway into the program. So I need to remind everybody that this is Robert Itis with Plants and Their Friends, and I have Bob Gale. And Chris Burns. Reese Burns. Reese Burns. (laughs) uh, With me uh, here uh, to talk about evasive plants. And we want to get to the heart of the matter uh, for as we we get close to uh, uh, coming to the halfway point here. And that is that we should not be encouraging the kind of activity that happened in your early youth to continue now that we have the knowledge. And I have gone before the Plant Conservation Board and before the Secretary of Agriculture to plead my case. And so far, uh, it has not resonated well. So what do you think? Where should we go? Um, yeah, I, I, it's first of all, it's real important that people understand how the government, the state government, works on these things. Um, it's actually the role of uh, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture Weed Program uh, to uh, be involved with invasive plants. Um, they 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 have to do with um, the spreading, um, the control. Uh, but they don't have a big budget for it. Uh, agriculture is focused on so many other things. But um, they do have a person um, who is in charge of that, and her name is Bridget Lassiter. Um, yeah, we want to specifically call out to Bridget Lassiter that this is something that we would like to become front and center. And, and quite frankly, that is her job. She is all about um, doing something about invasive plants. She's an amazing woman, actually. She travels around the state. Uh, if there is a report of a new invasive appearing, she takes a crew and gets on it immediately and tries to eradicate it before it becomes established. So that is her job. The problem is there's a lot, there's a low budget for that part, and there's so much territory to cover. But they do try. Um, the other thing is the the uh, uh, role of the plant conservation program, they're in the Department of Agriculture, but that's not their authority. They only fall under the North Carolina Plant Protection and Conservation Act, 
and um, related rules and regulations under that act where they try to uh, take areas that have been protected and they try to maintain those. Um, they, they only have uh, a staff, they have a, at their most, their highest they have a staff of three, but there's only one person there right now until they fill a couple of posts. But they, they also have a tough time. The fact is, um, the best way to impact um, policy level at the state would be to con continually uh, let your legislators, your local legislators know that you're concerned about this and you don't want to see these plants sold. Uh, we're in a non-friendly a, a, a non um, period as far as our General Assembly is concerned as to um, regulatory uh, policy. So we're not really going to see many laws uh, banning plants. That just is not realistic, unfortunately, in North Carolina. However, we do have a number of funds that can be put toward this, and um, they're the Clean Water Management Trust Fund and um, uh, uh, the... Um, uh, Farmland Preservation Trust Fund, I believe is another one. Uh, there are a couple. And t contacting your legislators and telling them that we want to raise the levels of those, those funds and have part of that, those funds, uh, steered toward um, invasive plant removal um, would be a really important message to send. You can also contact the um, uh, uh, Secretary of Agriculture, um, Secretary Troxler, and make that clear to him too, um, because he he has the funding given to him, and he can direct some in different places. I will say that the Audubon Society did a really good job last year of trying to get that to happen, and uh, the secretary was understanding of the problem, but he would not uh, put funds toward that because uh, the state had had so many hurricanes and they had so many uh, disaster funds uh, taken and used in different ways, he didn't, he didn't have any and did not want to turn any money toward this issue. But this issue is important because uh, inv non-native invasive plants are now considered equal to habitat uh, destruction, habitat loss, um, as far as their threats toward rare species. So it, it's important the public continually sends this message to their legislators and the Secretary of Agriculture. And uh, we have how to contact Secretary Chuck? Yes, we, we have a, actually, um, sec, uh, we tried to find an email. There isn't one apparently for the Secretary, but his uh, phone number is 919-707-3021. 919-707-3021. And um, he's a public servant, and um, it certainly is... Uh, would be great if people, you know, called and left a message saying, hey, this is something we want to see happen in 2020. Uh, we want funds given to this. And, uh, and there, there are various places where it can come from in the Department of Agriculture, like I said, Clean Water Management Trust Fund. Um, this uh, would be, it would seem, a wonderful place to create a new NGO that uh, is out there to just strengthen these uh, uh, existing uh, nursery laws to stop exotic evasive plants from taking over or being sold. Uh, English ivy at uh, our lows is a disgrace. 
And we need to get uh, focused and get people focused on doing this. There's a lot of corporate pressure that uh, the um, uh, uh, Alliance, uh, uh, Dogwood Alliance has used that's really good. Uh, but if there's somebody out there that really feels called to this, that would be great. Now, one thing that um, I want to mention is a program that happened. It's not funded anymore, but it should be. And if you all know where that kind of place is, that, that's really why we need a nonprofit to focus in on this. But they, uh, Rodney Webb from Madison County, did a project on that uh, grass that uh, is between uh, Marshall and uh, Mars Hill. Would that be mm. Chinese silver grass? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's awful yeah. up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, there needs to be uh, uh, focused uh, attention on that plant. And Rodney was showing that if it was harvested right, it could also be an inoculation for mushrooms. That's so, interesting. Uh, that kind of segues us into that all evasives are not bad. Some of them are medicine and we need to handle them properly. Uh, or we need to, as in the famous case of kudzu, and I want to put a big shout out to Zeb Friedman and Avram Friedman and their kudzu camp in Silver every twice a year, uh, that this plant has a lot of benefits for all of us. Uh, baskets, uh, uh, food, medicine. Uh, uh, there's a lot of good that could be done if somebody focused in on it and harvested this in succession and kept it going to keep the populations down, but also start producing some medicines. That's yeah, and it, we just want to be careful to note that we would never encourage anyone to plant kudzu. Hopefully no one would feel the need to. There's plenty of it out there. Um, and if you can do something beneficial with invasives when you're harvesting them, then absolutely. Some of them do have some great artistic, cultural, medicinal values, um, but that we wouldn't want people to go and plant kudzu for those purposes. Exactly. That's there, what I always There should say. be no place that a person could go in North Carolina to even buy it. Right. And, and there's, there's so much out there wild. There, there's plenty for everybody. And that's what I always say. Go out, put it in your salads. If it's garlic mustard or something, you know, weave baskets out of it. Do anything you can um, and take it. Uh, just like we said, don't plant the seeds and don't transplant the plants. That's it. Uh, we need to get a citizen's revolt uh, to the government to, to, to let them know that this is not okay business as usual. And unfortunately, as uh, Bob uh, alluded to, uh, there is a, uh, a feeling right now by many that the lack of re regulations that have been the hallmark of our present administration is not the best thing for 
the health of Americans, but is obviously very good for the bottom line of the corporate uh, government, or not government, corporate entities. That is uh, a situation that we can, with our voices, uh, overcome, I believe. And another action that I'd love to steer people towards if they're not as comfortable engaging in the governmental system um, is that people can talk directly to their local landscaping companies and nurseries. You know, if enough people go to Home Depot and say, we're not going to shop here anymore because you sell this, they will respond to that. Consumers have a lot more power than we do in some of these situations. That now, is particularly... absolutely true. Yeah, um, that that is um, what we have focused on, education and empowering people. Um, and and a, a positive thing about this is that, like, for years I've been educating um, both the, mainly the choir, uh, conservation organizations, and even state agencies that know these are problems. In fact, it came down originally from the federal government under the Clinton rule, Clinton uh, directive, to that federal agencies had to start focusing on non-native invasives. And that's uh, been a good thing over the years, but uh, we... We have much more power by influencing um, the retailers and suppliers, and they will do what the customer wants. And I, so where I was heading was uh, we've been educating the choir and agencies and conservation organizations, but in the last few months, Reese and I have been contacted and have been giving presentations and outdoor workshops for the first time to homeowners associations who want to get rid of these plants that were deliberately planted and designed in their subdivisions. Some of them are high-end subdivisions, and they realize now now that they own the subdivision themselves, the developer's gone and their homeowners own it, they realize these are problems, and they want to get rid of them and start planting native plants. So the education level and awareness has really risen from 20 years ago when I first started working in this, and uh, uh, I think that is a positive sign and when they don't want to buy these things, retailers will quit supplying them, and they'll tell their suppliers to um, to sell uh, different plants. And I want to mention, um, um, Robert, I, I could leave this with you, um, these with you, but we have a brochure that we formed. Uh, it's called a Do Not Buy brochure, and um, it's a little uh, brochure that you unfold it. It'll fit in your wallet or pocketbook because we want people taking it into stores, showing the plant managers. On one side, when you open it up, it has plants in red, and uh, you tell them, we do not want to buy these plants from you. We want you to buy these ones in green on the other side of the page, or tell your suppliers to switch over and start growing them. We don't want to put anybody out of business, but we can influence the sale of these things. And um, so I'll leave these uh, Do Not Buy cards uh, with Robert, and if any okay. of you know him and want to contact him, you can get them, or you can come to our office and get them. Right, and I presume you left them with the library people? Yes, we've left them with the library yeah, as well. Because that's probably the easiest place for okay. people to, yeah. to get them, and I'll drop them off with Ed sure. uh, over there. Okay, so um, time is moving along. We've got now, um, uh, hopefully, an inspiration to someone out there to start a nonprofit on... Uh, removing invasive plants, that there's existing programs that they can uh, um, tap into and point to that just need a lot more money. And then there's the whole campaign against the uh, retailer uh, who is selling these plants still out there in the marketplace. 
and to bring this awareness and uh, uh, knowledge to master gardeners, uh, uh, garden clubs, uh, homeowners associations, uh, would seem like uh, uh, pretty easy to come by now. Uh, and so the time may be right for somebody to step up and, and, and produce a, uh, a company that's f totally focused on, on this and know that there's a lot of support uh, already out there that's been building. Uh, but we really need to get behind this. I would encourage you to, uh, to call uh, um, Secretary Troxler at... 919-707-3021. Thank you. And uh, uh, I think, I don't know if Martha's still on the line with him as the secretary, but uh, just uh, inform her that, that, that you want this. And she'll start to keep a running list, and uh, we, we really need to start getting everybody to call in, I think, because uh, he does have the power to do this in a second. Uh, uh, he 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 constantly has uh, gone with the uh, commerce aspect of it. Oh, people are you know been telling me don't do this, don't do this, and they're going to lose money, and people are going to get out of jobs. And I'm sorry, that one is so thin on ice, it it doesn't hold water anymore, and we got to move past it. Uh, and uh, I also uh, know that this probably is his last term, and we got to put together somebody who's going to be a Secretary of Agriculture who understands these problems. Uh, and, uh, of course, my favorite uh, is uh, John Ager from Buncombe County, who I've encouraged to run statewide. Um, but we'll see what, how that all plays out down the line. Robert, um, I also want to mention that um, uh, you mentioned forming a nonprofit. Um, that that is a big uh, load to do. You have to have a board, and you have to. Uh, it, it, there's all kinds of bureaucracy to that. Uh, there are organizations that are doing some of this work now. Uh, well, Mountain True is one of them. Um, and if you if you form, we've been trying to create. Uh, I call them cells. Um, in the all over the mountains of local communities that get a few people together that care about this as much as Robert clearly does and uh, it always takes a volunteer who's what I call the border collie to actually do the sort of the organizing and communicating with the local folks in an area and uh, then they can um, uh, actually go out and do invasive control in their local areas and uh, we're we're enabling groups like this to start all over the mountains. We've got a new group up in the high country called, they named themselves the High Country Habitat Restoration Coalition. Um, and uh, they can, if, they're, if they find a grant that they can apply for, um, quite often Mountain True can act as the pass-through since we already are set up to do it. And so you can act as your own nonprofit to do this kind of work. Um, you can also go out, and this would be a really good thing to do for any community, Go out and periodically inventory your local nurseries and retailers. Find out what they're selling. Sometimes uh, we've been surprised. We found out that they really know all about invasives and they don't want to sell them, but there are a few customers that insist on buying some, so they stock a few things. 
And then there are other retailers that don't, you know, just maybe don't care and they sell lots of these things. But if you can go out and do inventories of these things, then approach that business uh, in a maybe a diplomatic manner and say, hey, we all don't want to see this and the public doesn't want this. Um, we'd like to see you switch over. You can have impact even on an individual basis with an individual nursery. We've also, I have met with the high, one of the highest levels of Home Depot a few years ago. We almost got them to do a test market in our western North Carolina region to, to not sell invasive plants. Uh, they came so close to doing it, and then they pulled back, and there was no further communication. They must have made it a business decision not to. But they clearly have been hearing more from the public, but they need to hear more. So, so let these businesses know you don't want these plants. Yeah, I kind of reiterated what we said earlier. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious that the time is uh, critical right now. And um, uh, the more uh, people can be of service uh, to the plant community, the better their lives will be. Uh, I have never had as joyous a day as I've had uh, doing plant rescues, uh, which is still uh, out there but being done uh, less frequently. Um, I think that there's uh, an ability of a nonprofit to to not only take out uh, existing uh, uh, exotic uh, plants, but also um, there's a growing number of native nurseries now. Uh, when right. I came about 27 years ago, that was a foreign word right. and uh, to plant native. And uh, some of them, you know, are doing the rhododendron, uh, mountain laurel kind of thing that I'm not crazy about. <laughs> but um, uh, there are more and more younger people who are getting into the uh, cohoshes and the bloodroots and uh, the basics that we need to bring back this uh, kind of forest that mm -hmm. we're hoping to uh, to see in the future. Uh, you know, you mentioned that. Um, it's interesting. There's there's good and bad things to things that happen. When the bee colony collapse happened, uh, that actually educated the mass public across all kinds of socioeconomic boundaries about pollinators and the value of them. And now there everybody's very excited about trying to improve the pollinator gardens in their yards and having planting natural uh, species that attract them. And we're having a big problem with insect population crashes, crashes now because of all kinds of things that we've done to the environment. And um, so uh, the, the good thing is sometimes when some of these bad things happen, it educates people on a higher level and they start a mass movement of things, such as the pollinator movement. And um, I'll mention that Exerces uh, Society, X-E-R-C-E-S, is a very good uh, group to uh, uh, pay attention to. Um, they promote a lot of that. Great. That's wonderful. Uh, you know of uh, any groups that are young and moving towards this? Or are we still in the hopeful phase? Moving towards invasive control? Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of young people who are taking it upon themselves to start businesses around doing invasive removal, um, right. people who are even making a living at it. Um, but there are also a lot of us who are approaching it 
from the uh, either the Forest Service side of things, trying to sort of get in from the inside, as it were, and try to influence policy. Um, some of us are taking the NGO route, trying to work with uh, nonprofits. But I certainly think that I'm part of a very motivated younger millennial generation um, that can hopefully put a lot of energy into these types of issues. Great. And let, let me mention. She, she mentioned something I want to uh, okay, point I just, out right I want to clarify ahead. one thing, though. Um, Reese says that she's saying that from her personal um, uh, view, point of view, and how she's able to do things. I have to say, is since we host AmeriCorps, um, you, you should know that AmeriCorps cannot work on advocacy issues, but they can work on education issues gotcha. and and re, uh, restoration of the uh, the environment. So I just want to make that clear. Okay. Now, one thing I want to uh, point out uh, is uh, the forest plan. There's a new forest plan coming up. Anybody who has not uh, put in their comments, naughty, 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 <laughs> you need to get your comments in. You need to tell them that although it's the Forest Service, they need to talk about the plants. It's not just the animals in the trees, that the plants are really important, and that they ought to have a big, massive program of getting rid of invasives. Uh, there's no doubt that the invasives uh, don't care whether it's a national park or not um, and uh, move from the national parks into people's properties that are adjoining. Uh, this should be a high priority for them. And again, uh, a, a way of uh, uh, mentioning it to them is to put it into the forest plan that's the comments are still applicable and will be the plan will be coming out soon. Yeah, and I have some good news there. Um, we've been going to the table for six or eight years now on that plan revision. Um, and uh, the Forest Service this time around, unlike uh, 20, 30 years ago when they did their first plan, is very collaborative. We've got all kinds of stakeholders around the table. I mean, everybody from mountain climbers, rock climbers, to uh, Trout Unlimited, to sportsmen, timber people, uh, environmental organizations, everybody looking for, and we're all uh, partnering in a good way to find common ground. And the Forest Service definitely has put non-native invasives as a major part of the plan in all of their uh, projects and everything. Um, and uh, we, th this partnership also is agreeing to monitor, do the monitoring phase, which is the next 20 years after they implement the plan, to go out and make sure things are being done well and helping the Forest Service. That didn't exist 20 years ago. You now have partners that are helping the Forest Service manage the forest because there are public forests and they need our help because their budget's been cut horribly. So things have uh, kind of come together in a good way there. Um, I want to point out one other positive thing that's happened. Uh, about eight years ago, um, the uh, uh, Grandfather Ranger District in the National Forest uh, applied for, um, and it was actually Josh Kelly who wrote the grant for it, and uh, they got uh, uh, a lot of money from Congress for a number of years to do restoration work in that district. And the partnership has worked so well that the Forest Service has decided to apply for a federal grant to do the entire Pisgah National Forest under such collaborative work. So there's plenty of room for people to comment on why uh, this collaboration is important. Um, this is all, these are all our forests and we can all have a say in it and we can go out there and help make it happen in the future too. So that's great. Good news there. Okay. 
So uh, we're um, slipping past the hour, going pretty fast here. Whoops. Uh, we want to uh, uh, maybe do a little highlighting. Uh, so we're talking about evasive plants. This is plants and their friends, if you just hooked in to the last 10 minutes. And um, uh, we're wanting everybody to understand how important it is to write around you clear as much invasives from your property as possible. And even if you're, uh, you know, not totally, absolutely sure uh, that the plant is, you need to get the education. And the education is, is easy to come by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want people to uh, uh, n- notify the politicians, uh, uh, Secretary Trotska, uh to uh, stop uh, exotic evasives from um, being purchased in North Carolina, period. It, no negotiation. And, um, uh, you know, I would uh, indicate that in almost all my communication with them that they've not done a good job in the past, but now we have the information and we need to move on it uh, quite quickly. Uh, There's lots of uh, players out there that um, a focused nonprofit could um, pull in as allies, and there's uh, pressure that needs to be uh, put from all of uh, the people who are listening to this uh, and pass it on uh, to other people in their uh, in their area. That um, uh, a homeowners association is a perfect place for somebody to bring that up at the next board meeting mm-hmm. and uh, see if we can get some some people out there to help you. Uh, that's the critical portion of it right now, and we totally get that there's been uh, a new insurgence of energy in this way, but that the problem is so bad and has been going on for so long that it doesn't really seem like we're making a lot of headway. And uh, a lot of attention needs to come into this area. But just remember that where you focus, you can have a big impact. And I want to give a little sound bite here that people can maybe go away with and remember. Um, one of the big problems with non-native species is not only displacing our native plants, but also harming our wildlife. The, the wildlife needs nutrition from our native species, not the nutrition needed by plants and animals that live in China uh, or Japan. Um, so so they, if they don't get the right nutrition, it lowers their immune system. So I call it junk food for wildlife. If we just ate junk food, we'd be unhealthy, more susceptible to disease. So that's another reason um, to keep in your mind why we would want to get rid of these plants. And there's no uh, stronger analysis of that, I believe, than the outbreak of blue tongue uh, deer population uh, that's uh, from uh, uh, the... uh, all around Anderson Branch, uh, Big Pine, Little Pine, Paw Paw, uh, 
I heard over 200 deer got blue tongue because uh, of a uh, infestation and uh, uh, gets into their gut and they uh, uh, are uh, wanting uh, liquid and they can't get enough liquid and they they die. Wow. Uh, and that is a phenomenon that's right here in Madison County. People know about it. And it's now time to get rid of a lot of those plants that are causing these problems to our our animals and our uh, predators uh, uh, are are not as uh, affected as uh, the pollinators, uh, and 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 make sure that uh, you, everything that you try and do is is based around an organic principle of life. Last comments. We'll go to the lady first. Oh, well, thank you. Um, well, I'm just really glad that we're having this conversation. I really appreciate you having us on. Um, I'd love to just reiterate for anyone listening that we'd love for you to take a stand by talking to your local nursery or plant supplier um, and let them know that you're not interested in these plants. I think that's the biggest individual action that people can take. Okay. Yes, and um, I want to add to your, uh, your example. I actually didn't know about that deer example, but there was a case a few years ago where a group, a flock of cedar waxwings, birds everybody loves, they're very gregarious, they eat lots of berries, uh, descended on a non-native invasive uh, landscape plant, Nandina, and they ate the berries and the flock fell to the ground and died. Uh, they found out that it was the berries that killed them and um, the berries are not harmful to us, but they have a slight amount of uh, the, the compound for cyanide in them. The birds just did not know that. They had never encountered that and they, didn't not, they did not know not to eat them. So, so, you know, there's some um, subtle reasons why not to plant non-natives, but there's also some very drastic things that have happened. There's a couple other examples, but that's the quickest one I can give you. Great. Well, um, I want to thank Reese and Bob for coming on, uh, sit in this uh, caboose and <laughs> tell the world, hopefully, um, that uh, Plants and Their Friends on WART 95.5 on your FM dial is what you've been listening to. And we have been talking about invasive plants in our backyard, county, and uh, throughout the western part of uh, the mountains uh, here. And we... Uh, Look forward to, uh, to speaking with you next week. Uh, remember that uh, uh, this goes on a Saturday morning at 10 o'clock if you're listening or Tuesday at 8 o'clock. And those will be your times. Thank you for Thank having you. us on. And um, if you need to contact us, it's bob at mountaintrue.org. Thank you. Have a great day, you all. No, 
Bahujonehe 